2022, Team Milk came together by sponsoring female marathon runners for the marathon in New York City. Today, they're more than 20,000 strong. In 2024, Team Milk is making an even bigger commitment to female runners and launching the only women's marathon in the U.S., designed for and by women. The inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. Chris, have you seen the new Spider-Man movie yet? I have. So wait a minute. There's an elite crew with all the best spider people in it? Who's the new guy? Okay, sick. So can you tell me, does it look really good? It looks amazing. I mean, it's visually dazzling. Okay, so it it wasn't lost upon you that Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse came out this weekend. It's the biggest movie in the country, and people love it because it looks really good. And it makes me wonder, Chris, why can't everything look so good? (laughs) You're listening to Intuit from Vulture and New York Magazine. I am obviously not Sam Sanders. He's been hanging out with Beyonce. So you get to hang out with me, Sean Ramos, for him. As we enter blockbuster season, we've been asking ourselves, why do so many big budget movies these days often look so bad? You know what I mean? The superhero battles, the under the sea extravaganzas, the giant bombs rolled through Rome. We're gonna throw so much shade without naming those movies. A lot of the crucial scenes that rely so much on heavy CGI and visual effects, they don't look great. Even when these movies cost hundreds of millions of dollars to make. How does that happen? The VFX industry is in turmoil right now. And um, with 90% of all movies reliant and you know, using some sort of VFX in them, there's a real shortage of qualified workers. Chris Lee is going to be our guide today. He's a senior reporter for Vulture and New York Magazine. I've been covering Hollywood for longer than I care to say, for, for over two decades. He's pretty much made the VFX industry his beat, and he's found overworked and underpaid visual artists who put up with a lot from studios like Marvel. They're scared of being blacklisted, and they don't have a union. We'll hear about that in a bit from one VFX artist who's working to change that. But first, Chris. So, I mean, not you know, not only do, does nearly every movie coming out these days you know use some element of VFX. Um, increasingly, uh, th- that's the main event in a lot of these movies. A lot of like superhero movies, uh, tentpole event movies. I mean, a substantial portion of what you see on the screen is computer-generated imagery, and there's just not enough qualified professionals around to do this work. And this might be surprising to the casual moviegoer. I mean, I know you've been writing about this for a while now. This is kind of your beat, but a lot of people go to the movies, they see some VFX, they're like, oh, that, that was cool, I like that one part. Tell me some recent examples of really bad VFX in in movies or TV recently. One segment that I know came up for a lot of criticism that I personally think is incredibly preposterous and poorly rendered CGI was in uh, the most recent Doctor Strange movie, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. It's an, an opening sequence when Doctor Strange faces off against this octopus monster in the city streets of Manhattan. It just looks so cartoony and awful um, and just ridiculous. Like the sense of consequence of like, you know, are these characters going to be stomped, you know, stomped to death 
by this marauding octopus monster um, goes out the window because you just like think to yourself, this looks stupid and childish. So I think that there's been a lot of stuff like that in recent Marvel movies. Like in, in you know, the Eternals, um, there's a, a Superman-esque character who flies around shooting lasers out of his eyes that you know people thought was rather poorly done. A lot of people point to the end of the first Black Panther as appalling VFX. So um, the the first Black Panther was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Picture and is heralded as among the best Marvel movies to ever come out. But if you look at the end, the climactic battle sequence, people say it makes no sense. Like the, the characters have been doing super things throughout the movie. And at the end of the movie, the physics with which they operate go out the window. Like suddenly they're jumping, you know, the, the, the height of a skyscraper. Apropos nothing, like, you know, there, there's nothing to establish that they can do this. And the, I, what I'm told by VFX professionals is that, you know, basically the studio ran out of time and money and just thrust the work upon uh, VFX workers who were out of their depth and they came up with the best thing that they, that they could, but the result is decidedly lackluster and, you know, kind of takes you out of the movie at, at worst. Help me understand how that could happen. I mean, was the director not around for the making of the last, what, third of the movie or whatever it is? <laughs> well, okay, I'm so glad that you asked about that because this is a crucial part of the problem with, with you know, the, the, the current VFX malaise. Um, Ryan Coogler is a director who earned his stripes as a filmmaker at the Sundance Film Festival. He, he, he directed a small um, independent film called Fruitvale Station, which was made on a shoestring. We played freeze tag today. Really? Did you win? They couldn't catch me. Thank you fast, huh? And then suddenly he's thrust into the top echelon of directors and given a, a you know a movie with a nine-figure budget and an extensive computer-generated imagery quotient. Uh, a lot of Marvel directors and a lot of people, you know, directing movies in the in the superhero space come from the same background. They 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 don't have experience with VFX. This is the problem. Like they'll get sort of rough drafts of what a sequence is going to look like, and they have trouble conceptualizing what it's going to be like when it's eventually on screen, as opposed to a director who has an extensive experience working with VFX. So it's not like Ryan Coogler abdicated his responsibility as a director. It's just, you know, I'm told again and again that somebody like Chloe Zhao, who similarly came from directing a movie like Nomadland and, you know, got Marvel's The Eternals. So the guy that had the van before, he just had a mattress in the back, but I didn't want to keep it that way. I wanted to build the bed up so I could have storage underneath. These guys all don't have any background in VFX, and yet they get these big VFX-heavy movies, and then they're expected to know what to do, but they don't. You're mentioning a lot of Marvel movies, and I know the most recent Ant-Man movie got a lot of criticism, too, for just being this sort of garbage feast of VFX. Why is it that Marvel gets so much attention here? Is it because they're making the biggest movies, or are they actually the worst offenders? Both of those things. So, you know, Marvel is the most reliable blockbuster factory in the history of moviedom. I mean, they, their mm. track record of success is unparalleled. It's, it's truly astonishing, the number of billion-dollar movies that they, they put out. So they're floating on money. They have a ton of money. They could, you know, flood the zone with money and um, surround all of their VFX and CGI people to prop them up and make sure that these movies look as good as they possibly can. But they're notoriously cheap. 
And um, hmm. they, they, they. You're um, calling you're calling companies that spend, as you said, nine figures on movies cheap. Yeah, and I mean, if you've ever sat through the, the closing credits for one of these, you know, movies, the interminable closing credits where there's like hundreds of of credits of VFX workers, you, you know that it's yeah, you know, there will be up to twelve VFX houses working on a you know to, to get to one of those post credit sequences that I watch. Hmm. I don't know if you do. You'll see that there's a ton of workers, so it, it seems incomprehensible. I know to to think that Marvel would be cheaping out, but they underpay and overwork these employees on these films systematically. I worked a 28-hour shift. People would drink on the job, or they would use substances to be able to finish the work. And so it just physically exhausted us, probably like shaved off like 10 or 20 years of my life. Uh, it's, it's bad news, man. My name is Maggie Kreislamut, and I'm a visual effects artist based in Los Angeles. The best way to describe my job is basically Photoshop for video. I have never worked for Marvel. I do have many friends who work in the Marvel productions, and I've heard a lot of the worst stories and abuses that we hear about the industry has come from the Marvel productions. But it's not just exclusively a problem with Marvel, it's it's a problem with the industry as a whole. More from Maggie and Chris in a minute on Intuit. Calling all female runners, it's time to lace up and join Team Milk. Since the 2022 New York City Marathon, Team Milk has sponsored female marathon runners nationwide, providing support and shining a spotlight on their unique stories, perseverance, and drive to go the distance. Why milk? Dairy milk is an excellent nutritional ad for both marathon training and recovery. Milk contains 13 essential nutrients, including high-quality protein, making it a crucial component of a training diet. Plus, it's one of the best beverages for hydration, even better than water. The same electrolytes that are added to many of your favorite sports drinks are found naturally in milk. And in 2024, Team Milk is taking the next step to empower female runners by launching the only women's marathon in the U.S. designed for and by women. Built to be accessible, empowering, and community building, the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. Tell me more about a day in the life, you know, for one of these visual effects artists working on a big budget Marvel movie or a movie of this scale. I don't want to say it's doom and gloom across the board because there are positive experiences to be had, but... By and large, these workers are gig economy workers. They might have uh, a temporary position at a VFX house. The studios farm out the work to outside vendors. They, they don't have dedicated teams of people inside the studio doing this work. So they find outside contractors. And, and these houses employ these workers on 
gig by gig basis. Sometimes they pay them by project. Sometimes they pay them by the month or by the week or by the day. I was working these long, insane hours without any kind of coverage for health. And so I remember when that project was over and, you know, the vendor that I was working for thanked us for a job well done. Congratulations. You did it. We made the deadline. Here's your check. Good luck finding your next job and like, you know, take care. Right. And they're also not unionized, which has been a big focus of, of my work. Unlike writers, directors, producers, etc. Unlike the person handing a wrench to the, the key grip on the set of a movie, everyone else below the line in Hollywood is unionized except for VFX workers, which is astonishing. I have to say that most union workers, whenever I tell them that I'm not union, they are shocked because they everyone assumes that we're in a union. Because the post team is in the union, the camera departments, you know, in the union, uh, writers union, actors union, everyone's union. I mean, given how important they are, they're key part of the food chain, and they are not unionized. So they, you know, they they, they have no health benefits. They have no paid overtime. They have no retirement plans. Unlike just about everybody else in the in the movie making ecosystem. But ever since the pandemic, um, to go back to your question, it, it's work from home. So you'll have dozens of workers uh, working remotely and zooming in. And um, basically, the studio farms out scenes. And uh, these workers will you know, get the specs and they'll, they'll look at the pages in the script. And then they'll have to sort of figure out how they can devise this visually and come up with something that will have to be approved by the director and uh, it's up to the director to say, yes, I like this, or no, go back to the drawing board. Um, the scourge of this process is what the VFX workers refer to as pixel fucking. <laughs> what does that mean? The, the director doesn't know what they want. All they know is what they don't want. And they're, because they're, of their unfamiliarity with VFX, they just keep sending the VFX people back to the drawing board over and over and over and nitpicking and saying, I want this, I want that, I want the other thing, but they don't know what they want. The worst directors are the ones that didn't know how to direct. They couldn't make a decision. Or maybe there were too many cooks in the kitchen. Hence the pixel fucking. Hmm. I mean, you're making it sound like a nightmare? I mean, it sounds like a nightmare, but it also sounds so counterintuitive. This process you're describing is wildly inefficient, right? You're doing the same work over and over with no clear direction, just being told what someone doesn't want, not what they do want. That isn't cost-efficient. No, I, I, I'm told time and again, this is a terrible way to work. That, uh, you know, if they would hire directors who had a you know, clearer idea of what they wanted going into it, or if they prop them up with people who have extensive experience, you know, with this, or, you know, studio executives who have, a, you know, a specific idea of what they want, there would eliminate a lot of confusion, a lot of budget overruns, and a lot of, you know, 11th hour production chaos. Um, but in addition to all the other things I've described, you know, like Marvel is the primary offender in this arena because they, they release three tentpole blockbusters a year and then on top of that, four TV shows that, you know, like each one being about 12 hours of content. So they are kingmakers in this industry. 
it's an unsustainable business model, basically, is what I'm told over and over again. By not knowing what they want and by overworking these, these employees, you know, who are already so few in numbers, basically it's a race to the bottom. And you know, the, the films decline in quality, the fans revolt, the, uh, they, they earn less money, and um, you know, the population of qualified workers is that much closer to complete burnout. What keeps these VFX artists in the industry if their experiences are so miserable? Uh, I mean, I'm hearing that there's an exodus from the industry. But, um, you know, the, the countervailing force is the unionization drive. So as a, as a subset of IATSE, which is the, you know, the big um, union for all the people who are, you know, so-called below-the-line workers, the, you know, the, the, the non-famous people, the, the people doing the grunt behind-the-scenes work of filmmaking, are attempting to unionize and let these workers know their true value. Let, let them know the strength that they have, you know, that they're a crucial part in the movie-making ecosystem. And um, when they finally get what they want i.e. health benefits, paid overtime, retirement, you know, a, a, a livable wage, you know, not being forced to work, you know, 80 hours a week for six months on end, then it's going to be a dream job. I mean, you know, if, if this gets unionized like the rest of the film industry, this is going to be a sweet gig. And, you know, this is creative work. People love it. We are craftspeople, you know, like while we might not do it the old fashioned way with our hands and building sets, and puppets, you know, um, it still comes from our traditional kind of training, you know, it's art and science. People are proud of what they do. De-aging Nick Fury in an Avengers movie is just inherently cooler than de-aging Robert De Niro in The Irishman. You just get more cool points. <laughs> um, so people love what they do, they, you know, and they work really hard, but you know, the, like the audiences love these movies, they're huge hits, so they want their name on it. I mean, I think that that's one of the main reasons why people tolerate so much nonsense in order to, to enact this work. Well, how are the efforts to unionize going? It's progressing more quickly now than at any other point. Modern VFX was born with the company Industrial Light and Magic, which was created to make Star Wars. And it went from just being a couple dozen people to, by some estimates, around 120,000 VFX workers around the world. There's strength in numbers that, that people are trying to organize a labor force. But, you know, what it will take is one of these outside vendors unionizing to show others in the industry that it's possible. And then a domino effect will happen. The general consensus is that the workers themselves, they want a union. They just don't have the energy to really kind of speak up and, you know, stand up for themselves and demand a union. Because, um, you know, the thing is, you know, it's we have to form the union. No one's going to give us a union. Are there good examples of this work relationship between directors and visual effects artists, or even just the work itself? I mean, Avatar 2 comes to mind. They spent forever making it. I didn't read any articles about how everyone making it was miserable the whole time, and obviously the director is a competent guy, if not like a bit of a raging narcissist. <laughs> That's. That, I'm so glad that you brought that up, because yeah, that, that is really um, a model of how things can work. 
Um, and you know, for it works for a number of reasons. James Cameron is a perfectionist, albeit a narcissist and and control freak. But um, you know, he would never consent to putting a movie into the marketplace that looked bad or had shoddy VFX. So the, the bulwark against doing that is to budget as much time and money as needed. And you know, the, the box office returns speak for themselves. I mean, the way of water crushed it. Now, James Cameron, of course, Avatar two out in the theaters now about to cross two billion dollars you have hopefully hopefully a few hopefully. weeks from now maybe. i'm saying it i'm predicting okay, thank it you. generally speaking everyone loved the vfx i mean yeah i've i've heard some people de deride it as you know it looked like a screensaver but i think it was beautiful and fresh and and really the cutting edge of technology the flip side of that is movies that have a release date staked in the calendar months if not years in advance so Everyone's moving towards that release date, and the deadlines can often be untenable, but they're immovable. So if a movie isn't quite ready, or if it's not quite ready for prime time, they just crack the whip on the VFX workers and make them rush it into production. So um, to answer your question, yeah, if more people had the juice and clout of James Cameron to take as much time as they needed and you know enable all the quality controls necessary, this wouldn't be a problem. But the way Hollywood works is that these release dates are staked out and everyone's got to move heaven and earth in order to, to meet those deadlines. Do you think... Broadly speaking, audiences really notice the difference between really good visual effects and sort of ham-fisted, last-minute rush jobs? Yes. And, um, you know, I, I want to bring The Little Mermaid into this conversation because, you know, that, that movie came out recently. It did $118 million over Memorial Day weekend domestically. But I've heard the CGI described as clunky, uh, I've heard hmm. the VFX described as soulless. You know, people saying hmm. are saying it's unfinished, and it's hard to it's hard to come out underwater under the sea after Avatar: The Way of Water. <laughs> it's really really hard. But those movies still make, as you mentioned, like over a hundred million dollars in their opening weekend. Is there an incentive for studios to rush out whatever they've got because maybe audiences will just show up anyway for the nostalgia to see the sequel, to see where the story's going, to see Paul Rudd, whatever it might be. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, the, the, this, this Ant-Man that you were just referring to is the most successful installment of the franchise. So yes, I mean, you know, for all the reasons you just mentioned, like there, there's a built-in consumer base, especially for the MCU, where each movie is, this, you know, is an interlocking part of a larger soap opera with a meta-narrative of characters and storylines that jump in between each other. So there's almost a, a, a doing your homework quality to seeing Marvel movies at this point is like, you know, a, a big portion of moviegoers are just going to go just to stay current. But, uh, you know, I think that um, Hollywood proceeds with cheaping out on VFX at its own peril. The fans don't take kindly to being given low-quality product. I still don't know how Marvel let these scenes slide into their movies. They hate that. Why does Marvel's visual effects look so bad? They feel insulted by that. Like, it's not good when you notice something is bad, especially me as somebody that does not look for it at all. I guess I wonder... Chris, if there's a world in which we can solve all of these problems, because, you know, it's easy to look at Avatar the way of water and say, like, why can't everything look like this? That being said, you know, James Cameron is one of the most experienced directors in the history of cinema, especially in the history of visual effects. He's famously hard to work with. And 
there's not a lot of people with his level of talent and experience. So even if you could make conditions better for visual effects artists, you don't have a dozen, two dozen, three dozen directors who can handle the work at that level. Is there really going to be a day where everything kind of works as it ideally could? Um, okay, so forgive me for going back to Marvel, which is my my bugbear. That's that's my white whale as a reporter, and I've been on this beat. Um, they have the money to pay for more time and more resources to make the VFX better. They could pay for more people. They could make these lives not miserable in making these movies. Outside of that, they could hire competent producers to institute a quality control project by project. Let's say surround them with a strike force that has the wherewithal to make sure that everyone has everything that they need, enough time, enough personnel. Um, you know, the, the, the money that these movies make, it's not like they're hurting for it. It's just on a balance sheet. They want to say, you know, this is how much money we spent and this is how much money we made. Yay us. If you took a little, you know, if you diverted a little profit and put it towards the VFX workers, you wouldn't have this crisis situation where everyone's becoming alcoholics and getting burned out. And we get better movies, more, more. And we get better. Tunes. The fans get better movies, exactly, Sean. Chris, you you dunk on Marvel a lot in your reporting, and you're speaking to visual effects artists who have worked on Marvel movies. I wonder what the response has been to your reporting from the industry broadly, but also directly from Marvel. From the industry broadly, um, I've had people across the VFX diaspora reach out and thank me. Um, wow. The, uh, the, like the VFX, the, the, this union drive, the, the organized labor drive, they're using my reporting to try to recruit other people into the movement. So I feel like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I have my union builder um, bonafides there. The most startling thing I, I've encountered is that Disney has not wanted to comment about this at all on the record. So, in, you know, in, in various stories I've done, I've contacted, you know, corporate communications at the studio and said, here are the allegations against you. How do you respond? That's just what you do as a reporter, to be thorough. And they said no comment. And I have no idea if they have any notion to, to change their modus operandi. Although I've heard, you know, it's been reported that Kevin Feige, the, the, archi the so-called architect of the MCU, is looking into that, but there's been no outward sign of that yet. Hmm. Okay. Do you know of any upcoming movies, uh, like summer blockbusters? Uh, have you seen any of the things that people are excited to see, like maybe The Flash? The, the Flash and I saw. Do you, do you know um, if they're good or bad? Yeah, I, the, the Flash is fantastic. You know, all the stuff of The Flash running at superhuman speed is really, really great and original and fresh. So there is some good VFX to be had outside of James Cameron and Avatar. And, uh, you know, and, and in fact, in a lot of ways... Um, that director, Andy Muschietti, um, doesn't have a deep background with VFX, yet he managed to turn in a movie that's quite VFX-heavy that's good. And, you know, I have no idea if he lit his VFX workers' lives on fire in the process of making it, but, you know, they, they all deserve some credit because it looks great. Chris Lee, thank you so much, man. It was great to talk. Thanks, Sean. It's been fun. That was New York Magazine's Chris Lee. He mentioned he tried reaching out to Marvel for comment. We also tried, and we didn't hear anything back as of recording. In this episode, we heard from visual effects artist Maggie Kreisemut. She volunteers on the advisory council of the entertainment union, Ayatsi. 
Into It was hosted by me today, Sean Ramos from. You can usually catch me over at Today Explained. Into It is produced by Janae West, Travis Larchuk, Gabi Grossman, Jelani Carter, and Taka Zen. Our editor is Jordana Hochman. Siona Petros from Today Explained also helped out with this episode. Our engineer is Daniel Turek. Our music is composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. Sam Sanders will be back Friday with a brand new episode. Ask him how Beyonce was. Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running. And that's not the case. Most runners hate running. (laughs) But they choose to do it. In the new docuseries Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Team Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon, taking place in Savannah, Georgia, on November 16th, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.